Thank you for those prayers, Wayne. I love those words, be still and know that I am God. And the next line after that says, I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Amen. Amen. If you uh, are familiar with uh, the hymns at all, they're the older literature. One of them is uh, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. And I bring that up this morning because as we were singing that song, we were singing the last one, Be Still and Know. Be still and know that he is God. He will be exalted. Be still and know. And he wraps us. I mean, one of those verses ended with the word that I lean upon your breast. Have you ever, if you came here this morning and you had a, something in your heart that was just concerning you, it's a good morning to just confess while we're all here together. You don't have to shout it out, but just let yourself know and let God know, I, I'm being still, and I just want to lean on your breast. And then you can say, Father. In fact, you can even get more familiar than that and say, Abba, Father. Let me be still in your presence. Let me hear a word from you. Sometimes we come uh, to church or we go someplace and we just want to be quiet and we don't even really know the questions. You know, have you ever had that experience? We don't even really know what answer we're looking for. And he says, just climb up here in my lap. Let me hold you. Be still. Amen. That's what God does. He just wants to hold you, and He wants to hold us all. And He wants to whisper in our ear Be still. I've got this. Know that I am God. And Father, I just pray again that you forgive us of our sins. Forgive me of my sins. You know there are many. Be with each of us today, Lord. Let the words from our inner spirit just flow to you and say, let us just rest on your breast. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I like it when the music leads us to that place of the throne of grace. And I like it when you, you just can't get out of it. God says, I'm here. I love you. Put all that other stuff away just for right now. Hmm. Okay, if you would. <laughs> that's, I'm done. <laughs> Um, you know, there's a lot of things happening in our church, and I'm just, I don't plan to say this, so let me just say it anyhow. Last Sunday, we had a great worship service and a great time together, and uh, I think the young adults met that evening, didn't they, Austin, Stacy, last Sunday? No, to start this Sunday? Yeah. 
Tuesday morning, we had a great group of women here. Tuesday afternoon, there was another great group of women here studying the Word of God, studying the Bible. Oh, yeah. And Wednesday morning, there's another great group of women here. And then Wednesday night, there's people here. There's meetings going on. There's worship team rehearsing and getting things done. All to the glory of God. And through the week, there are people coming and visiting, and they're talking, and they're talking about God, and they're talking about being still, and they're talking about what is he trying to do in my life. And Saturday, there's a big group of people here, and Saturday evening, there's a big group of people here, and they're enjoying fellowship, enjoying the time together. Some people say, there's nothing going on at our church. I say, get out of your sleeping bag and come over here and find out. There's a lot going on in our church. A lot. We have men's studies on Monday morning. We have a men's study on Thursday morning. And most of the men on that Thursday morning group uh, don't go to church yet. But Mr. Moreland and a few others are working on them. There are a lot of things happening here. And we can be still and thank God for it. And we have a, a great group of kids. If you ever notice that group of kids that leave here in the, and go to kids' church, that's a great group of kids. And the teachers are outstanding. Whew. I'm done now. I just love this place. Don't you, Joe? Don't you love this place? Joe, chairman of our elder board, he tells me, yeah, I just uh, love Joe and I love Gail and I love Jonah. Jonah's the tallest one of us, and we forgive him for that. And I love Wayne. He's one of the shortest, and we still forgive him for that. But people, there, there is a great deal happening in our church. There are a number of people that I look around here who have started coming to this church in the last six, eight weeks, and they're here because of you. Isn't that good? How like a, you know. Mr. DeBrule shows up this morning just to see if we're still alive. Don't tell him I said his name. The aid lady back there gave me a hard time this morning because I couldn't remember her name. This is a woman that had 6,000 chickens. <laughs> Be still and know that he is God. And when Paul comes to this passage, this is going to kind of be my introduction. I'm just about finished. When Paul comes to this passage in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he's really picking up a thought he had in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, when he said, prescribe and teach these things, which is a really an easy way of saying, command and teach these things. Command and teach these things. And, and, let, and that way people, we people, will know how to teach and preach and lift up the church before others. So he starts in verse 5 talking about, uh, and I got a few things up on the board there, but I'm going to really call this Teach Them Propriety. I've been doing the whole series through First Timothy is Teach Them Something. Today is propriety. Uh, that's the word that we haven't used in a long time. But propriety is the state or the quality 
of conforming to accepted standards of behavior or morale or morals. It's not in our text. What it Paul our passages. What Paul is doing is teaching us, and he started in verse 1 of 1 Timothy, and he started teaching us how we should behave and how we should uh, appoint ourselves as ambassadors to Christ because he has appointed us ambassadors to Christ and how we should love to be those kind of people. And I'm here a big part of the week, and when I see here people here, I don't see people come here to fight with one another. Well, maybe Bart and I do, but not very often. He just gives me a shot of oxygen and I'm on my way. But propriety is the state or the quality of conforming to accepted standards or behavior or morals. A sample of that in a sentence would be, he always behaved with the utmost propriety. She was a stickler for the proprieties. Paul is trying to teach us that. And when we start in chapter 5, we're going to find a bunch of things that really, um, some of those things don't apply to us today. But it's the supra, S-U-P-R-A, supra principles that do apply to us. When I say something about Bart, I have to say it in love, and he needs to be able to say, I know he's just loving on me, right? Or else he can be excused. That's the way it is. We come here because we love each other, we care about each other, we want to be with one another, we want to hear what the Word of God says, we want to share it with others. That's propriety. Synonyms of propriety are etiquette, decorum, decency, morality, prudence, form, fitness, dignity. And that's what Paul is teaching here because he's telling Timothy, these are the things I want you to preach and teach so people will know how to behave in the household of God. And, you know, you never find chapter 5, well, most of chapter 5, in any devotional, in any little, um, what do they call those things, cookies that the Japanese give off for meals? Say it louder, I'm deaf. Fortune cookie. You never find chapter 5 in that. You never see it used to expressing it. I looked all over Charles Spurgeon's surgeon. He never preached a sermon on... Uh, most of this chapter 5. But it teaches us so much about ourselves. It teaches us so much about how we behave. And I'm just going to start with the older men and the older women and read those first two verses. He says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters, in all purity. First Timothy 5, 1 through 5, 1 through 2. Do not sharply rebuke an older man. Now, remember that Paul is teaching Timothy, who is a young, I don't know how young he is. I'm not going to try to put that on him again. He's a pastor. 
And Paul has already told them, don't let anybody look down on your youth. But there's going to come a time when you're going to have to say to an older person, an older pastor, an elder, or someone like that, and counsel them or rebuke them. Not very specifically. And when you do it, how do you do it? Do not sharply rebuke an older man. Do not sharply rebuke. Treat him like a father. Now, if you have eyes in your head, you can look around this room and see there are maybe a few older guys here. Not many, but a few. And God says, respect them. The, the principle here is do not get on their case. Do not yell at them. Do not scream at them. And if you have something to say to them, say it as you would to your father. And you said, well, I would yell at my father. Well, change your attitude. You, you're still in your sleeping bag if you're yelling at your father. Don't yell. Respect. That's how we do that in the church, isn't it? We might give each other a hard time. In fact, I don't think we know sometimes how old some people are because all of you guys look so young. All the women are shaking their head. Yeah. But we are supposed to respect. That's what Paul's saying. And when we get upset with a brother, if Austin, who is a little taller than me, if I get upset with him, I don't rain uh, death and destruction on him. What I do is I treat him like a brother. Like a son. Because I want my words to have effect. I want Austin to, re, uh, to appreciate what I said. Even if he has to go, well, I'll go pray about that. Go pray about it. But when you come back, know that what I said to you, I meant in love. Know that what I said to you, I meant it because you're my brother. Now, when I was growing up, I had three younger brothers. And when they were young, I could... I could dominate them. When they all got to be about 10, they were all larger than me. Note that Austin is larger than me. So when I treated my brothers, I treated them with respect. I learned how to be kind. That's what I want to do with Austin. Brandon, other guys, David. I'm not supposed to come at them. And you're not supposed to either. We're supposed to have love. Doesn't mean we stop rebuking or correcting or offering counsel. It just means we do it as family. We treat older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters in all purity. The key here is purity. The key is kindness. There may be a few older women in here too. We are to treat them with respect. I get so irritated sometimes about, um, uh, that's not in my manuscript, I'm not going to say it. But we are to treat them with respect. If we see they need a hand, even if we're older than men treat women with respect, let me help you with that. Let me hold that for you. Let me take that basket back. At, you know, you're standing at Walmart and some lady puts all her groceries in her car and she's got the basket looking around. Just let, let me take that back for you. That's how we conduct ourselves in the church. That's how we conduct ourselves in the parking lot. That's how God wants us to treat older women, younger women, and all of them with purity. 
Now, if you have a trouble with that word purity, it means don't look at them with other than holy or healthy attitude in your eyes. Don't speak to them with other than holy habit in your mouth, holy words in your mouth. That's how people know you're a Christian. That's how people know. We used to have this word in our vocabulary. It was called gentlemen. Treat older women and younger women with purity, with wholesomeness, and as a gentleman would. Right? You say, get back to the Bible. This is in the Bible. This is what it says. And then he says to the next group, younger men and younger, older men and older women, and in verse 3, he starts talking about this group called widows. We have a few widows in our group. Women that are not married because their spouse died or some other tragic event occurred in their life. And Paul says, here's what we do. We honor widows who are widows indeed. And you say, well, who is a widow indeed? It says, if any widow has children, her spouse has died, or she's a widow because of war or anything like that. If a widow has children or grandchildren, no, if, honor widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. The whole, everything revolves around this. This is acceptable in the sight of God. The authority to do propriety does not come from cultural norms. It comes from the authority of the Word of God. This is what God expects. If you want to be mean, cruel, and ruthless, you're going to be on the narrow way that goes to hell. It's not narrow, by the way. It's bigger than I-80. If you want to be a gentleman, a man that knows how to guard his mouth, how to know guard his eyes, guard his ears, guard his lips, that pleases God. It is acceptable in the sight of God. And the widow, it, she, you may have grandchildren, you may not. You may have children, you may not. The, the purpose here is not that you have grandchildren and not that God's keeping a scorecard on how many uh, Christmas cupcakes you give them or things like that. No, what God is saying, when you're around younger people or children, you need to be an example. Widows. God has a specific place in his heart for widows. He says, I will be the father to the fatherless and the husband to the widows. James says, what true and perfect religion is if you visit the orphans and the, y'all didn't know the word, widows. That's what he's saying. This is how we behave. One of the things that we do, decorum comes from the word propriety. And one of the things that we do, and one of the things I've often struggled with in my ministry is, how do I dress when I'm preaching to the crowd? You know this thing with Senator Fetterman from Pennsylvania? Decides that he wants to be a hobo-looking guy to go into the United States Senate. Now, I don't care whether you voted for him or not. That's improper. And that's the same example. That's an example of the standard that we have 
Sometimes I feel like I should wear a tie. And people come up to me right away and say, oh, you must be the preacher here. <laughs> Why? Well, you got a tie on. I don't wear it for you. I wear it for me because this is, I want to show my Lord how important he is. I don't want to dress better for a baseball game than I do to go to a funeral or dress better for a, a fishing outing than I do to going to church. If I'm going to dress up to go to a funeral, I'm going to dress up to come to church. Not in the text. I'm just no additional charge for that part. I, I just think we need to be people that encourage people, that love people, and show that by our attitude, how we speak, how we think, how we dress. And widows are the ones that help us because uh, typically a widow had children before. Another one down the road here. She who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe, teach these things as well so that they may be above reproach. So the thing is that widows... Widows have been left alone, but they've fixed their hope on God. God, who continues, and she continues in entreaties and prayers. A widow more than anybody else, a woman who is without a, a spouse or a husband who has been left alone, a mother, I will broaden this, a mother is the same way. A father is the same way. When you're left alone and all you have is God, your best prayer in the morning is to be, Father, give me this day my daily bread and forgive me my sins and let me rest in your breast. You see, God is concerned about how the church behaves, how the church acts, and how the church looks. And you, if you're with a group of Christians, you can go to the fishing hole, you can go to the restaurant, you can go, and they're having fun. Right? There's a few stick in the muds, and I won't mention any names. But mostly, Christians have fun being with other Christians. Have you ever tried that? You look like I'm making you mad. We're together. We should have fun. We should have excitement. I asked a young lady this morning if she had another staff like she brings to church. And she got a glow on her face. She was excited about it. She said, I'll bring it next week. Christians have fun with other Christians. <laughs> and Christians enjoy helping other Christians. That's what Paul's saying. And he says, if you are not this way, Verse 6, she who gives herself to wanton pleasures, uh, those are not good pleasures, but they're wanton, um, is dead even while she lives. It doesn't mean she's dead. It doesn't mean she's maybe not even a Christian. What it means is that when you're doing what you know you're not supposed to be doing, you're not really enjoying it. You can try to put on the face that you want to, but the reality is you're just walking an empty, dead life. 
I like this group because tomorrow morning with our men's group, I'll get a lot of correction. I keep telling Bart he's not invited. But that's the way it is. You can do something that's positive. You can do something that's important. You can do something that sets a great example. But you need to be above reproach in all this. You need to be one who's doing things that are acceptable in the sight of God. And then he says in verse 7, these things are well. These things, prescribe these things as well so that they may not be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide, this is kind of an innocent one here, kind of hanging out there by itself. After he finishes this first passage about the widows, he starts talking about the lazy and the thoughtless. Okay, we'll skip over that. Anyone who does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Can you imagine what is worse than an unbeliever? If you do not provide for your own household, if you do not take care of your... I'm going to stand over here for a minute. Yes, ma'am. If you do not take care of your own household, if you do not provide food and clothing and shelter, because as we'll see uh, later, Paul says there's only two things that we need to be content. Food and shelter, including clothing. If you don't do that for your family, you are worse than an unbeliever. I'm not picking on Austin, but I, I really appreciate this young man here. And there's other young men here, Dane, Wayne, all those guys, Dalen. Young men, you have to set the example for other young men. Young women, you have to not tolerate young men who don't act in a godly manner. Moms and dads, you need to be able to say, go thee from my house until you get a job. Quoting the King James. And you might say, that's a little bit harsh. It's the truth. At what point, um, at what point do we say to our kids, hey, you're grown up, get out. Sometimes they go, they go through a hardship. We had our son and daughter went through a hardship, one, his wife. They came and lived with us, I think, for about four months. I don't remember what it was. And they couldn't wait to get out. I think they made a mistake, but <clears throat> they just they had to go do what they were going to do. They had to be who they were going to be, and they couldn't do it living in the shadow of the parents. That's what kids do. That's what responsible parents do. Let me help you be an adult. Boot. And I know we're all laughing and giggling. And I know there's a lot of different circumstances. But Paul says, this is what the church does. If you don't want to be responsible, you know what? When, when kids leave the home 
or sometime after they reach the age of maturity, we consider them responsible for themselves, right? They're going to go to hell or they're going to be saved based on their own behavior, their own attitude, their own things like that. If they keep living in my house, I continue to be responsible for them. Beloved, I want to train them up in the way they should go and then show them the way. That's just hard to do. That's just hard to do, but that's a reality. Paul's talking about it. Uh, maybe I'm making some of this up, I think. Maybe, I don't know. He says, if anyone does not provide for his own household, he is worse than an unbeliever. I cannot imagine anything that could be worse than an unbeliever. Then he says, a, a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, having been the wife of a one man, is the same language he uses in 1 Timothy 3.2 when he says, an, a candidate to be an elder is a one-woman man. A woman who is recognized as a widow is a one-man woman. It doesn't mean she's never been married before. It doesn't mean she's, you know what it means. It means that in her behavior, in her life, you see that she is faithful and true to her one man. And it's harder for the guys to act in that way, but I'm so thankful for the men in this church. And she has to be not less than 60 years old, having to been the wife of one man, having a good reputation. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown, shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, and she's over, over 60 years old, and she is in distress and she doesn't have another woman in her family who can help take care of her and assist her, put her on the list. We don't have a list today. We know whom we think is worthy of being on the list, but we don't have a list. These are... We don't wash feet today and do some things like that, but what we do do is we honor the family. Kids, honor your father and mother. God said way back in the beginning, it's always been that way. For this is the commandment that promises you a good and wholesome time in the land that God has promised you. Mom and dad, raise up your child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Fathers, do not frustrate your kids. And we gloss over those parts in the Old Testament where it says, if you have a son that doesn't behave, take him to the elders. And if he still doesn't behave, stone him. That's the way God feels about kids that don't obey their parents. We have to modify that today a little bit. But discipline has not been modified. Responsibility has not been changed. We have ladies that are on over 60. They've done the best they could do, and they still are in distress. We need to, as a church, help them. Amen? 
refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. Their previous pledge, I don't know what that is. Anybody here know? If you have a study Bible, it probably helps you understand that. The previous pledge, I believe, is when they, they became a widow, they said, I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart, mind, and soul from now until he calls me home. If they've done that, then, and they violate that, then they shouldn't be on the list. This is a hard passage to preach, isn't it? It's a, probably a harder passage to understand. At third, verse 13, and that's where I am now, at the same time as they also learn, talking about the younger women, they learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle. These are the younger widows. They get caught up in the culture. They get caught up in going uh, to their friend's house. They learn to gossip and they become busybodies. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Satan is the one who wants to take a widow's heart and turn it away from God and turn it into something he wants it to be. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Uh, let me pick on Ken and Kathy. If they have a widow in their family, whether it's a sister, a niece, a mother, an aunt, to the extent that they can, they are to assist her so that the church won't be burdened. That's one of those good deeds that God says, when you get to heaven, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you are living in a family and you have a, a, a widow that's in need, and you are not assisting, you are not pleasing God. Widows are special to God. Young women are special to God. Children are special to God. And men, you are lucky because God puts a whole lot of work on you. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. Be strong. Be a gentleman. Take care of your mom. Take care of your wife's mom. Isn't that true? I mean, I, I've kind of flipped through this really quickly, but it's really tough to, to look at it. And Most pastors don't preach this. They just say, next Sunday in our Bible study, we will have this passage from 1 Timothy 5. But then they get to verse 17. They say, but I will preach on this. No, I want to preach on this. The women of this church are precious and dear in the hands of God. 
The men in this church are precious and dear in the hands of God. So let's stop treating God's precious and dear holdings terribly. Let's let the light shine through us. Through us. And let us help those who need help. And let us not be embarrassed to ask for help when we need help. Let's act like we're all growing up and living in a place where we are doing things acceptable to God, that please God. I don't forget. No, I don't. The last song that we sang had a great name. What did it have? I'll look over here at Sheila, my dear lady. He is God. Be still. You know am I God. Anybody know the address for that? Hmm? Kathy? Anybody? I look at all my Bible scholars and they're not shaking their heads, so I don't know. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nation. I will be exalted because... Mr. and Mrs. Nordstrom were here in church this morning and they were smiling and talking and encouraging. Nancy is here with her daughter who is taking care of her and loving on her and cherishing her. I just go around the room and I can see these scriptures being fulfilled in this room right now. Be still. Look around. Know that he is God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And Father, I just, uh, as I close, I know this has been a terrible effort on my part, but Lord, I pray that you would just go before your word. They would not return void, that we would get a new burden, a new view of those of our family who go to the church that we go to, of those who are family who need us and are counting on us and will be blessed by the things we do to help them, by those in our neighborhood. Let us rest in you, Lord. Let us look at you. Let us be still. Climb up in your arms and say, Lord, help me to be the man or the woman you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen.